0: Well, if you'll uh, open your Bibles to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, our selection this evening is verses 13 through 17. You see that my sermon is, is entitled "Eternal Internal Destinies." And that's why we read or confessed together from the confession of faith chapter 33 talking about the last judgment and what awaits those who belong to the Lord and those who are enemies of the Lord, because I think that is exactly what the Apostle Paul has in mind as he challenges the people of God to stand firm, to remain steadfast amidst the affliction that they are enduring. And so if we'll now turn our attention to God's Word, I want to read it, and then we will expound it for our remaining time. Together. Hear now the word of our Lord as the Apostle Paul, being driven by the Spirit, writes But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God for it. Well, as we uh, look at these verses, this handful of verses, we remember, I hope, that it comes on the heels of some hard text to comprehend, to expound, uh, to even mull over as Paul tells us that the coming of the Son of God, the second coming of the Son of God, Christ Jesus our Lord, has not happened yet. And we know that because there will be a season or a spirit of lawlessness that comes in this Man of sin or this man of lawlessness will be revealed and many will be led away by his crafting, by his evil deception. And and Paul, being a good teacher, being very pastoral in his understanding of how these things might overwhelm us as he's challenging us to stand firm in the faith, hold fast to our confession, we might say, He reads to us, or He tells to us, reveals to us, something of the devil's playbook. Remember this spirit of lawlessness that's before us in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Even the revelation of this man of sin, this man of lawlessness, that will be revealed towards the last day. This is all an activity of Satan. He says it there in verse 9. The coming of the lawless one or the sinful one, is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And so Paul, as he thinks about those who will be deceived, as he thinks about those even within the church that will fall away from the covenant, the author of Hebrews talks about this as well there will be some who leave the church and what John calls them in the letter of 1 John to the church of Ephesus is they are antichrist they were never a part of us so they departed from us and so Paul has this in mind all those who are deceived either falling away from the church or even hardening their hearts all the more against God and his gospel there will be an eternal punishment that awaits them on the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then he says, in verse 13, we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. And Paul's given us a little hint to where he's going to go here with that phrase, beloved by the Lord. Because, he writes, God chose you as the firstfruits To be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Now what the Apostle Paul, just to give you a glimpse into where we're heading, what the Apostle Paul is trying to establish here as he speaks of this beloved by the Lord, even as he exhorts us, commands us, tells us that it's our obligation, our expectation to stand firm, to hold fast to our confession, He is going to say the only way that you can do this is because you are loved by the Lord. It is because the Lord is holding you that you are going to be able to persevere. And so there in verse 15, he gives us somewhat of a summary using that clause, so then, that is found throughout the scriptures. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that, were, that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And so, here we are, that God has chosen a people for Himself before the foundations of the world. For them, their eternal destiny is to be immediately into the presence of God. To immediately receive this fullness as we confess together this fullness of joy and refreshing because we will be in the presence of the Almighty. But the eternal destiny for those who are deceived, those who are wicked, those who do not know God or obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will be cast into eternal torments. And so Paul says, So then, knowing these eternal destinies, Knowing, believer, that you have been chosen in Christ and those who have fallen away have not, so then, brothers, stand firm, hold fast despite the affliction, despite the lawlessness, even despite the coming lawlessness that will cause our culture to be completely chaotic. You see, when when this season of lawlessness or this spirit of lawlessness comes, there will be great havoc within our culture, which will put intense pressures upon the church. And even last week, we talked about this law, the law. the Apostle Paul says, that the man of lawlessness will attempt to deceive with. This law or the lie, this delusion, is the replacement of the Creator with the creation, that... That the man of lawlessness will try to deceive you by trying to convince you that you are to worship the creature rather than the creator. And the Apostle Paul saying, despite this coming deception, or attempted deception rather, despite this coming pressure, this coming chaos, your obligation, your expectation is to stand firm and hold fast. He says, So then, stand firm and hold fast. In verse 15, as we see that little transition there before he gives us that strong exhortation. So then, I actually like the way that the King James translates it better. Therefore, what what he is doing is he is connecting very intimately all these things in verses 1 through 12. And even then in verses 13 and 14, the coming of the man of lawlessness, the great deception of the world, remembering that you are chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world, remembering that you are being sanctified by his Spirit and the truth, which is the word of God, called you out of this world according to his gospel for the glory of the Son. So then, or therefore, stand firm and hold fast. You know, one of the things that this little phrase reminds me of is that rich young ruler who comes to Jesus there in Matthew chapter 7. And he begins to... I got that chapter wrong. It is 19. Uh, Matthew chapter 19. As that rich young ruler comes uh, before... Uh, Jesus, and he desires to follow Jesus. He says, Lord, what must I do to follow You? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be one of Your disciples? And Jesus, knowing the idolatry of his heart, says, give away all your earthly possessions. And do you remember what the rich young ruler did? He walked away in despair, for he knew that he could not do so. And knowing this or maybe seeing this, what the disciples begin to ask is, so then, Lord, who can be saved and maybe that was your feeling when you began to read verses one through twelve jesus you 're telling us through your word, through your servant, the apostle Paul, that this man of lawlessness is coming, this spirit of lawlessness is coming, Satan is going to be at work." Who can stand? Who can be saved? And it's the Apostle Paul saying it's those who are beloved by the Lord, those who are chosen by our God. And those are the ones that must do these two things stand firm and hold fast. And so I want to kind of dissect the, the rest of this text using those two exhortations. First, stand firm. So then, brothers, stand firm. You know, one of the things that we have alluded to already is this idea that we can only stand because Christ is holding us. Remember what he says there in John chapter 10, that I hold my people in my hand and nothing can pluck them out. If if it was up to us, if it was up to our sinful inclinations and our sinful desires, we would be those who stray. In fact, we do stray. The the, the parable of the the one lost sheep comparatively to the 99 paints us perfectly. We are that one sheep that that always strays away. We are the the sheep that, that seeks to be to be pleased by what the world has to offer. And so we find ourselves dabbling in idolatry until we look up and there is no shepherd. But then the parable continues that the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ, who has laid His life down for His sheep, He leaves the 99 to seek out the one. We are prone to wonder, Lord, we even feel that proneness. We're prone to leave the God we love. And therefore, the way in which the Apostle Paul writes it says, because you are beloved by God, you will never stray away. You will never get too far away that the Lord is not seeking you, pursuing you, and pulling you back to the fold. The way that he even writes here is that God chose you, former action, before the foundations of the world we know, to be saved, or we could say, most or some other translations say, to be justified through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. It's as if Paul understands that this action is taking place right at this very second. We have been saved and we have been sanctified. That sanctifying work is at work even now by the Spirit of the Lord that lives within us. And the, and the belief in the truth... That we read and even hold fast to. And so we stand firm, but we're only enabled to stand firm because our God has chosen us and has established us. And yet that does not negate the fact that we must actively, that we must actively strive to stand firm. You know, it, it's, it's much like our sanctification. We know because Paul tells us here, as in other places. That the Spirit and the Word are the means in which we are sanctified. And yet at the same time, we are exhorted or challenged to put to death sin in our life and pursue Christ's likeness. We're called to be holy as God is holy. And and so as, as Paul writes this stand firm and even hold fast, he's telling us you're only able to do so because the Lord is at work within you, but also at the same time you must strive to be holy. You must strive to press on through every adversity. You must be on alert. You must, what he says in in 1 Corinthians 16, is act like men, be strong. And what I think the Apostle Paul is declaring here, as I heard one pastor say many years ago, that means you need to be bullheaded. Women, you know how stubborn men are. You know how bullheaded they can be especially as they have a task before them. And that is the same bullheadedness. That's the same stubbornness if you will in which we must pursue Christ. I love this quote by Matthew Henry. He says, "Observe, Christ does not say you are chosen to salvation and therefore you may be you may be secure" But therefore, stand fast. But therefore, stand fast. God's grace in our election and vocation is so far from superseding our diligent care and endeavor that it should quicken and engage us to the greatest resolution and diligence. What the Apostle Paul is saying is not simply because God has chosen us must we just sit back and say, well, you know, we'll let God handle this. We'll let the Spirit and the Word do this. I have no activity in my standing steadfast within the faith. No, Paul is saying, alongside of Matthew Henry, knowing that we have been chosen in Christ as the first fruits to be saved, knowing that we will be sanctified, even being sanctified now, it should then cause us to diligently care and endeavor to engage in our own sanctification. It's exactly what the Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is, and everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. The Apostle John is is helping us to, to fix our eyes on Jesus who is pure. And yet, as our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we strive to purify ourselves. The Apostle Peter writes in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, writing to a church that's under much affliction, but according to the Lord's promise, we are looking for the new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless. You see how, how both are at work. That the Gospel is at work within us and also at the same time by the power of the Gospel we are working to purify ourselves. We are diligent to be found by Him ready, spotless, and blameless. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Notice what Paul is saying. Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always finding your assurance not in your active pursuit of sanctification no finding your assurance in knowing that you are chosen by God to be saved but also that your work your toil your labors your active pursuit of sanctification is not in vain you know that is a common theme within our sanctification we we grow weary in it don't we because we, like the Apostle Paul, as, as we often pray, especially in the pastoral prayer on Sunday evenings, we have this wrestling match, this idea of indwelling sin that exists within the heart of the believer. If you've read through the, the newsletter, I'm writing a two-part series on indwelling sin, understanding it, and then hopefully next month uh, focusing on fighting it. But we have this battle raging within us And we do the things that we know we ought not to do and we we don't do the things that we know we ought to do and we grow in frustration, don't we? This two step forward, this one step back, it seems as just as we're making progress, we fall flat in the face of temptation. But understand this, because you were chosen in the Lord before the foundations of the earth, your toll is not in vain. That the Lord will continue to uphold you in the palm of His hand. He will continue to sanctify you by by His Word and by His Spirit. But that does not mean that we don't work. No, we work. We labor hard. We put to death sin knowing that Paul's exhortation here to stand firm means that there is going to be turbulence. means that there is going to be setbacks means that there's going to be fierce battles which there is no retreat. The Christian must remain firmly fixed in Christ, anchored, as the, as the apostle writes in Hebrews, anchored in our only hope, which is Christ Jesus. The New, New American Standard writes 2 Timothy 2.4 this way, he says no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a faithful soldier. We cannot be consumed with the external with the external pressures with this spirit of lawlessness. We cannot be led astray by the delusion, the deception in which Satan is very actively trying to cause us to follow. But we must always stand firm. We must always stand fast, anchored, only upon the solid rock which is our Lord and Savior Jesus, with our eyes, right? that has been a theme throughout this letter, throughout 1 Thessalonians, throughout even some of the the Scripture references that we've already read, fixing our eyes, longing for heaven in which our citizenship lies. You know, it's, it's in the letter of Philippians. I'm teaching through with, with Lee Gulledge, the, the Philippian letter in Sunday school, and I've been reading ahead. And Sinclair Ferguson makes a great connection that I've never really fully realized, I don't think. He writes in 3.20, "...our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ." And then just a few verses later, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, "...therefore, so then, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved." It's a battle that rages on, that we are very active in fighting, and yet we know that this fighting will not last forever. But one day, all these temptations will be no more. And one day, this battle will be no more. And we long for that day, don't we? Because we know and we understand our own weaknesses. We understand where, where we fail. You know, it's good news for us that we are held mightily by the Lord. It's good news that we are held or upheld by our God, it's good news that we have been chosen as the first fruits to be saved because He says, I know your weaknesses. And yet by My grace, power is perfected in weakness. And so Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecution, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, we don't have to look any further than Martin Luther's great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Martin Luther, of course, stands firm, stands fastly anchored into uh, Christ in the face of an unbelievable spiritual battle, both within and without. And yet he knew that this battle was not his own. He says, did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord, sabbath His name. From age to age the same. And He must win the battle. You know, here it is that we have before us a, a verse that explains so well Joshua chapter 5. The commander of the Lord's army goes before us and He wins the battle as we fight. And therefore, we must stand fast. We must be united inseparably to Jesus. We must be anchored in Him so that we might stand and receive the crown of righteousness that is the victor's crown. John Edie, a Scottish theologian from the 19th century, wrote, To stand or to stand fast in the Lord is neither to wander out of Him nor even to waver in connection with Him, but to remain immovable in fellowship with Him, to live in Him without pause, to walk in Him without digression, to love Him without rival, and to serve Him without compromise that is what it means to stand firm and very quickly i want to look at this idea of hold fast hold to the traditions that you were taught by us either by our spoken word or by our letter now if we were to have a little bit more time i would dive dive in further to the greek here but as But as Paul tells us to hold to the traditions, he's actually using language that's found for us in the Gospels. Matthew loved this word. It means seize. It means seize. It's that picture of Jesus being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane where Judas says, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. That is the word, that's the verb in which Paul uses. He wants us to to seize, to hold fast to, to firmly attain, understand, and never let go the traditions that, that you were taught by us. And now if you know anything about the Gospels, you understand that the traditions are what Jesus is so against according to the Pharisees. We talked about this a little bit this morning uh, as we were reminded that the best way of loving the Word is doing the Word. Remember, we said the Pharisees, they said with their lips, they love the Word, but they always tried to find ways to not do the Word. They were always consumed with doing extracurricular traditions that made them look more holy. But... But the Apostle Paul is not talking about Pharisaical traditions. He's talking about traditions that are rooted in the Apostle's teaching, rooted in the Word of God. And it's at this point that you think, well, Matt, don't we believe in sola scriptura, by the Word of God alone? And yes, we do. But that does not mean that we don't stand on the shoulders of giants. That we look to those men who have paved the way for us spiritually. That we look to those men who have given us good systematic doctrines of the Christian faith. I mean, think about what we did even earlier in the worship service. We affirmed our faith together with the Westminster Confession that we say is a good systematic understanding of what the Scriptures teach. And so it's not that we cast away every earthly teaching or every earthly man. That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying that the gospel has been preached by the apostles, and if it is contrary to what the apostles have taught, it is not of the Scriptures. Trust what we have taught you by the power of God. Do what you have done and what we have celebrated, even in 1 Thessalonians. You heard us preach the the words in our sermons, but you didn't take them as mere words of men. You counted them as words of God. Literally, what we see in Acts chapter 2 as we see the early church devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. If we were to scratch at that, the KJV, I think, gets it right or more accurate. The apostles' doctrine. The systematic way in which they preach Christ and and Him crucified. And that's the expectation of the church. That we would hold fast to true biblical teaching. Paul continuously celebrates churches that live up to this expectation. He says, I praise you because you remember me in everything and you hold firmly to the traditions just as I have delivered them to you. He tells that to the church at Corinth. He says to the church at Rome, You became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. He says to his beloved Timothy, Retain the standard of sound words in which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are or which is the gospel of Christ. Guard those treasures in which you have been taught, which have been entrusted to you, and I command you to teach these things. When Paul tells us that we must hold to the traditions that we were once taught, he's telling us that we must hold on to the traditions that has stood through the test of time, the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's, remi- it's, a, you know, it's, it's a remembrance, I guess we would say, For us, as we conclude our Bible reading, to to say the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God remains forever. We are to hold fast to that ever-remaining Word. And the way in which Paul writes this idea of seizing, he's saying you stand firm in the faith, which means you seize, you hold fast to the truths of the Christian faith. We seize the Word of God. We hold firm to it unwaveringly with no compromise. You know, we don't hold to human opinion. We don't hold to philosophy. We don't hold to any earthly wisdom. We cannot be swayed by the, by the ever-changing culture that's all around us. We are to simply stand, hold fast to the, the unmovable word of god we i remember singing in in the pentecostal church growing up time is full of swift transitions you might know that old gospel song not on earth can humans stand build your hope on things eternal hold on to god's unchanging hand where do we learn about the faithfulness of god which Causes us, enables us, encourages us to persevere. We hear about it in the Word. That reminds us that God has chosen us before the foundations of the world to be saved and that the good work that He has has started in us at our election will be brought to its completion on the day of glory. And there we are to stand firm, to face the enemy, to fight the battle, knowing that our victory has been won in Christ Jesus. And we are to hold fast, seize the Word of God, and we must not compromise one jot or tittle of what it declares. May it be so in our church. May we be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. May we put on the full armor of God so that we might stand against the schemes of the evil one. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the opportunity to come, and we know, Lord, that Our time in this Scripture could be much longer. And yet, Lord, we pray that You would use it to spur us on. Spur us on for further good work. For we will know a tree by the fruit that it bears. Push us, Lord, to to hold fast to our confession. To hold to every jot and tittle of the Word of God without compromise so that we might... Be assured of our salvation as it preaches to us the gospel so that we might use it to fight against the evil one so that we might use it to stand firm. And Lord, let us be reminded each and every day that we would not be able to stand firm unless You upheld us and anchored us in Jesus. And so, Lord, let us look to You, the author and finisher of our faith, until we reach our heavenly home. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.